Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Building Thriving Families podcast. It's a podcast that we are doing kind of alongside to accompany the sermon series that we're walking through. And just as a recap, you know, we're, we chose doing this podcast uh, because modern families just find themselves in this ever-changing landscape of cultural influences and expectations. I mean, think about it. The patterns of uh, family members and makeups just seems to be evolving almost daily. In recent decades, young adults are living with their parents longer, and the number of single adults in, in, in households is on the rise. And couples who do get married are waiting much longer to kind of sign on the dotted line, or even even thinking about having kids, or maybe even not even having a desire to have kids. Uh, and to complete the cycle, children are increasing, increasingly caring for their aging parents and relatives. So we just thought that over the course of uh, the month that we would sit down with individuals with varying stories and, and relational and family dynamics to sit down and just kind of tease out some of the principles and conversations uh, that we're having uh, surrounding the, the idea of multi-generational families and, and just the nuances of a complex family situation. And so uh, I'm joined by two guests today. We're going to let them introduce themselves in a second. Uh, but just uh, grateful and thankful for the, each of you being here. As we just kind of step into it, why don't we do this? Uh, introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about your family. So I'm going to start with George. Okay. Uh, I'm George Lippert. And, um, well, I'll start with, uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home in the 80s. My parents were very much... Uh, Children of the Jesus Revolution mm. back in the 1970s. Uh, I remember them telling me about uh, this place we were going to go on Sunday, this place called church that I'd never heard of. I was about three years old. And we had one rule, which was we don't talk in church. We <laughs> drilled that into me. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm only three years old, but I get it. You've told me this many, many times. And as soon as we walked into the building, I saw all the paintings and frescoes on the ceiling. and proclaimed very loudly wow <laughs> good start so yeah no i didn't i didn't get the uh, the memo i guess i got the memo but i ignored the memo yeah. which is probably kind of a model for how i lived a lot of my christian life from then on <laughs> always got the memos didn't didn't often live the memos until i was you know until i got, I got smacked over the head with the ruler of life um but yes i was raised uh, very much immersed in that uh, you know, 70s and 80s Christian culture. My parents uh, sent us at great sacrifice to themselves to a Christian school. My brother and I mm. had one brother, um, you know, grew up, uh, you know, we did not listen to secular music. We listened to Christian music. Yeah. Um, we did, we, we, we watched some secular movies. My, my parents, um, when I was, uh, again, when I was a teenager, they opened a Christian bookstore. Uh, Christian book and gift shop and became a fr actually sort of a franchise. There were three, three locations at one point and wow. I worked at all three of them. It's where I met my wife. Um, again, immersed in Christian media, books, music, uh, um, you know, uh, all of the, the, the movies. And I, I, unlike many of my contemporaries, I did not go through a period of rebellion. Hmm. Um, I tried. I tried. I, I shouldn't say I tried. I didn't try. <laughs> Sounds to like you didn't try. <laughs> My heart. I, 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 I didn't try. God very hard. You, George. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I always. I always stayed in the fold. Um, I was. I was the good oldest son. Um, so uh, I attended Christian college. I went to Liberty University for one semester. I went to a Bible college for one semester. Um, hmm. I, I did a lot of that kind of stuff, and I never graduated from any of them. Um, but uh, underneath the hood of my faith, I, mm. I always thought of myself and be, actually began to proclaim that I was kind of God's problem child. 
I struggled with faith a lot. My faith was constantly tortured. I constantly subjected it to tremendous doubts. Um, and I experienced a lot of struggle in simply not having what I, what I perceived to be the unassailable certainty that so many of my Christian friends and, and, and compatriots had. Uh, and I, to, 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 to be honest, I still carry that with me to somewhat today. Huh. And, and to you know, bring it to the next generation, that has spilled over into my own family. Now hmm. I have two kids, a, boy, a son and a daughter, both of whom are college age. My daughter is just about to start college, and uh, and my wife and I. She's the she's the she's the solid one. She's the mo- the model. She's the prayer warrior in our family. Yeah. Uh, my faith, up until fairly recently, has consisted consistently been a tortured, struggling faith, um, and yet I've always felt okay in, in a sense with that. I, I've always believed that God was big enough to handle that kind of struggle. Yeah. And I do believe I've lived that. I sense that I've lived that pretty openly in front of my children, and they reflect that. That's cool. In many respects. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go. That's a really good intro. Megan, we'd love for you to introduce yourself just like George's did. did. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Megan Kinter. Hello, Megan. Hello, Scott. <laughs> uh, I am the oldest as well of three. Um, we grew up in a Catholic family that my mom became a Christian when I think I was 10. And uh, as I went to Catholic school, I began to explore my faith and uh, realized that it. I had many questions about the Catholic faith and, and continued to and was encouraged to um, explore them by both my uh, family and the the teachers there, which is somewhat surprising yeah. if you would know the Catholic teaching yeah, system. Same. Um, but I went into um, a Christian church with my cousin, fell in love with it and never went back. Um, the rest of my family, we, we kind of have a, a blended family from my uh, my parents and my, my brothers in terms of uh, what faith we follow. So we have uh, some in the Catholic faith still and some uh, that are uh, actually attending Greece um, in other churches because they live in Orlando. So I don't know what church they attend, but anyway. Uh, so that is my family growing up. I was the oldest of three. Um, we, My family is made up of a lot of people. Um, so my husband, Steve, and I, uh, it's not our first marriage, so we bring a blended family together. Um, I have four biological children. He has two uh, that range from uh, Ethan, who is 22, I think. Um, Ethan, who is 22, all the way down to Harrison, who is eight. And we have a lot of teenagers in between. <laughs> George is just smirking over here. In his That's chair. A lot, it's, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> okay, so you um, both talked about... Uh, yourselves as you know growing up and it sounds like you both grew up in in a faith tradition uh so you were learning about god you were learning about jesus coming at it from different angles but both of you uh talked about this idea of you you you, at some point realized oh my gosh this jesus is real and i want to have a relationship with him now granted it sounds like your your road uh walking with jesus has been uh, slightly different and um, that's good because this is why we're doing this, because I, I think there is, there is no cookie cutter method to doing family. Uh, I think family is complicated. I think family is even more complicated the more you look at how social, social influences and culture continue to bombard it. So in, in both your worlds, just talk a little bit about why family is just a complicated subject to talk about. 
you guys can. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, So we'll start with some of the faith tradition. So I was taught that the nuclear family was the family. And we didn't know very many people who were divorced. We didn't know many people who were living. At least I didn't know. It was kind of a sheltered, naive child. Um, (laughs) Didn't know families that had single parent households or same sex households. Like that was just not or even blended households. We were um, our culture was was pretty we'll call it American, but whereas some uh, other cultures like the Hispanic culture, multi-generational families living together is very typical, didn't have that in the community that I grew up in. So um, as my life walked forward um, and went through a divorce, it was very um, and probably self-induced shame provoking Mm -hmm. in terms of like, I have broken everything. Like this is not how it's supposed to be. Can I still participate actively in the church? Is this something that I'm going to interact with people and they're going to look at me and my family with a level of shame? And Mm -hmm. so not only me as a person, but also my kiddos who were, uh, in influence and part of that uh, that decision that, yeah. that we went through. So it's complicated in the sense that um, for me, uh, you have this idea and uh, this idea of what a, a family is. And when that's not how it is for whatever reason, right? So whether it's a death of a spouse or a single family or single parent household that started out from the beginning or multi-generational family where you are um, faced with needing to take care of um, older loved ones. Yeah. Um, it's complicated because no in singleness. I mean, you were talking about last week, talking with groups um, who were single. Um, God calls us to that in some cases, yeah. uh, and so being able to open our um, hearts and our thoughts to this idea that it is not just the traditional nuclear family sometimes is challenging. Yeah, that's really good. I yeah, I love the picture that you paint of just like here's this here's this pedestal that we've placed as like what the ultimate picture of a family should look like and we we, as human beings and our fallible state love to try to compare yeah it's good and that's not healthy because of the uniqueness of families well not only that if you look back through scripture it's also not something that was like consistent either there's lots of different family makeups throughout scripture but of course when you're going through it and that's been culturally beat into your brain that this is a nuclear family mom dad kids mom dad kids yeah uh and that's your ideal goal Uh, it's really hard to shake that culture is deeply embedded in everything that we do and think and then the decisions that we make yeah that's really good george come at it from your angle you know how how has family be you know been a complicated issue to talk about or maybe not maybe you're just like i have no problem talking about family well, I personally have no problem talking about pretty much anything. <laughs> this um, is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, w- what this makes me, uh, one of the ideas I've been orbiting for a couple of years now, and I think you and I probably talked about this, is that in the church, there is a tendency, I wouldn't even say in the church, in just human, in human thinking, there's a tendency to focus on either or, this or that. Hmm. And the Bible so often seems to come at it from a perspective of both and. Yeah. We we were uncomfortable with that tension between two ideas. We tend to focus on only one. And in the church, when it comes to family, as Megan already talked about, we tend to glom onto this nuclear idea, this mm-hmm. a nuclear family, what this is what it should look like. And we are currently unpacking that both in our church and I think in a culture at large as well. 
with some some there's some good there's some benefit to that and sure. i think there's also some some downsides to that i think we we have a tendency as well in culture to swerve across the center line into the opposite error i've i've often thought that we as a as a as a as a humanity we don't so much fix the errors of the past as we make new errors in the opposite direction mm-hmm. and so sometimes i think our critique just swerves into the opposite ditch finding a, a place to talk about family that does include it is more inclusive that does include i mean frankly just even being single yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been reading Ephesians with uh, my son Zane, um, and just Paul saying, "Well, if you get if you guys have to get married, I believe this is in Ephesians. If you guys have to get married because you can't handle yourselves, then you know better off. But if you can if you can be like me, uh, you know, then you good for you because you know I'm Paul. I mean, dudes, right? Um, <laughs> just just holding out the possibility that singleness." is a perfectly viable and even has its own unique value yeah. option. Yeah. That's just something we don't do. Right. Um, so that's, again, I think it's because we tend to just, we tend to glom on one idea and we're comfortable there and we focus on yeah. it. I don't think it's necessarily a church problem as much as it's just a human problem. Yeah, that's really good. And and when you look, take a look back at scripture and, and you look at singles or, or orphans or or widows, they were so often adopted by a family. And mm. within the within the village, like they weren't just cast out to the side; they were actually taken under the wing and, and brought in. And so they were, they actually became part of of the household. And I and we have no concept of that. Yes, yes. One of the uh, almost fantasies that Jail and my wife and I have had for many years is this idea of communal living, mm-hmm. whether it be inviting family or even just friends who are like family to come and live in a, in a big compound with us. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, and I, I, I often pass it off as a joke, but I'm not really joking. I love that idea. Yeah. And we do see examples of that in the New Testament, particularly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and there are examples of it today in our church. Uh, I know I know a story. I, I, don't, I don't want to name any names, but I know a, a, an older man who has basically been adopted in to a family to, uh, they've kind of claimed him. He's a grandfatherly figure. And as far as I know, there's no blood relationship there. And that's just, a, that's just, that's the church being the church in a beautiful way. Yeah, to that's, me. that's great. So let's go into that idea of multi-generational. So it, it I, you guys have both mentioned it in a couple of different ways. Uh, Megan, I know that you, you mentioned that you have a lot of your family here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's some multi-generational influence that your family just gets exposed to on a pretty regular basis. George, I don't think that's necessarily the case for you and your family from a multi-general, at least, at least familial, not saying you know, from a communal level. And so, no, you're not wrong. And so I think from, from that standpoint, just talk about your, your families, the families that you are you know, a part of, that you are leading as parents. How exposed are you or how exposed uh, are you, ex- how exposed, how much are you exposing your children to multi-generational influence? Um, not as much as I should by a long shot. This, is a, this has been not just a blind spot to me. This has been an area where I have been uh, um, stubborn and maybe even belligerent. I did not have a great relationship with any extended family when I was growing up. I love my grandparents, uh, but I, I came from a fairly large family in terms of cousins, and I, I did not like them. I didn't get along with them. Mm-hmm. I felt I felt I, um, I felt rejected, but I think more often I just felt I was I was an unusual kid. Yeah, I don't think it was on them as much as it was on me. I interpreted it as a rejection, and uh, that grew up with me to the point where now I have not encouraged. I have not modeled in my family a respect for a seeking out of uh, those sort of multi-generational, mm. more expanded 
I've, I've illustrated and modeled a much more exclusionary nuclear us against the world mentality. Yeah. And I'm only in the last few years beginning to realize um, the error in that. Super uh, transparent. I appreciate that. And, and the fact that you recognize, um, I'm going to use the word shortcoming. Oh yeah, in, for in sure. That. And I hear you saying that. And um, it's for me just hearing that, it's just like, wow, how much did George's growing up and interaction with those who were, you know, generationally ahead of him impact his just like, well, if this is what it was like, I'm not going to expose my kids to that. Or, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, no question. Yeah. That's just, I just thank you for, because I, I, you're not alone in that. You're not alone in that. I'm sure there are plenty of families that say, Oh yeah, I, I I'm glad. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to I'll play that Trump card as long as it brings other people under the, under the table. Yes. Join me yeah, in join acknowledging me. this, this failure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Meg, talk about, just talk about your perspective, multi-generational family influence just with, you know, your, your, your aunts and uncles and everybody being around. Yeah, we have, um, so my mom was one of seven, my dad was one of six, and it is very complex. We live, all live, not all, many of us live in the same area, um, but even those that don't live in the area, uh, we had a wedding last weekend, everybody comes home. Like, it's just, this is what you do. And there's not a lot of question of, um, well, we don't want to, or things like, maybe they don't want to. We, we like, <laughs> we like to be there. Some other people might not want to be there. Um, it's complex because people will almost joke with us. They're like, well, who is that? Oh, it's one of their cousins because we have such a huge family. Um, and, um, we're very, excuse me, we're very involved in each other's lives, not necessarily down to the day to day, but Every, I mean, I just on the way over here was messaging three of my cousins and my aunt about something that happened with one of our um, puppies the other day. And so it, to me, from my kids' perspective, they can't keep it straight. Now, this is our first cousin once removed on whose side, but it's just everybody's everybody's family. And it's it's opened up a lot of opportunities. I mean, obviously, we have my, my parents are both living, Steve's parents are both living, and so we have that influence, so just the kind of the traditional parents influencing grandkiddos. But then we have my aunts who are local, mm-hmm. and so my kids are interacting with them who are... Uh, because of the large family size, you know, sometimes a decade or so younger than my parents. And so then you have that influence. Their kids, actually, my mom's youngest sister's youngest kiddo. Everybody just and lost Ethan, where you Yeah. <laughs> One of my first cousins and my oldest um, child, Ethan, are about the same age. And so we have this blending and overlapping of even generations. And yeah. so uh, my one of my 16-year-olds contacts my cousin who is my first cousin, her, whatever. I don't know how that works, but, um, and they're tighter than even I'm with her. And Mm. so it's just this really cool, different generations being able to speak into and having conversations about things that I don't think I would be able to do being, I don't know what I am, Gen X. We're the middle generation. We are Gen X slash oldest millennial. Yeah, Yeah, we are definitely Gen X. Uh, You're older than me. I'm just going to point that out. Okay, so... I don't know where I fit. I'm older than both of you, uh-huh. but I'm still Gen X. Uh-huh. Very much yeah. This is so, not how this is supposed to go. Oh, it's way. not. Pick no. on Scott. Dick. It's not pick on Scott. Um, but it, it's really afforded us an opportunity, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, to be able to speak into conversations like, why do they think that way? Why are they acting that way? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? Hmm. And we're able to look at it and be able to speak. I'm able to look at it. My kids are able to look at it from this multi-lens perspective, or at least have the conversations. Sometimes that comes out with, I don't want to do it like any of you. 
This is not how I'm going to live my life. And sometimes it's, oh, I never thought of that perspective. And so I'm thinking as they go into the world, um, you know, into the working world, they then are able to at least appreciate. They don't have to accept, but they can at least appreciate different generations' lenses in a way that, um, you know, maybe other families aren't able to. But also living in Erie, Pennsylvania, it's very complicated. And people think that we're all very incestuous because <laughs> we do really have a big family. You do. And I've had the, I've had the privilege of, you know, getting to know a lot of your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's hard to keep it straight, but the one thing that, and hopefully some of them are listening to this, um, the one thing that I did feel was loved uh, and accepted. And that is something that has never been lost on me. And I know that even though I may not see them for six months or a year, however many, the minute I see them, they're going to run up and they're going to, you know, make me feel the same feeling that I had. And so that's just a, a testament to, to your family. So oh, I like great. all of you, if you're listening. Um, but it, you, you, you guys talked about the idea of the influence from the outside. Um, and, and I think that that's a very important thing because when, when things go awry in family, whether it's, uh, you know, a lost, uh, a loss of a job or, you know, a minor health scare or maybe a longer term health scare, um, there's an opportunity for that multi-generational influence to kind of come around. And I just love for you to just talk a little bit about how you have seen that play out in your families for the good or the bad, whatever, you know, whatever you, you want to share with that, you know, whether it's when say JL gets sick, how did the family respond? You know, when Steve got, uh, you know, uh, so I'm going to make up a scenario when Steve got laid off, Steve would never get laid off cause he's brilliant at his job by the way. But if he did, how, you know, how would you picture your family coming out? So it's something like that. So whoever wants to go first, you can rock. Paper, I can go first. Great. Gonna so, um, I'm going to go there cause I know you didn't go there, but you were going to go there. I didn't. Um, so last year we lost our 13 year old Maddie. Um, and so we got to see this beautiful picture of family surrounding us, um, in that time. And, and again, my parents were grieving the loss of a grandchild. My brothers were grieving the loss of a niece. My sister-in-laws were grieving the loss of a niece. Um, um, and not that my extended family wasn't grieving, but they could grieve in a different way. And because of that, I was able to be supported in ways with that extended family. I mean, Christy, if you're listening, you're one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, some of our second removed family that's kind of adopted, they're not technically blood, but they're still family, um, was able to support us in ways that I think our you know immediate family was still going through crisis and weren't able to provide to me that level of support that I needed as, as mom going through that. And so I think that that is the positive of that. Having that big network and extended family, you always had somebody, I always had somebody I could call and say, I'm not, I'm not good today, help. Um, and obviously my husband's going through it. Like, I mean, the immediate family was was kind of all struggling. Um, so that's the good side, um, I think, of it. The bad side, of course, it's not a bad side. It's just the other side of the coin is, um, you know, sometimes they're up in your business. <laughs> their family? Um, yeah. And so, you know, everybody wants to you know, ask questions when you don't want to talk about them. And, and it's not a it's not necessarily a bad thing, but there's, you know, the question asking and the they care. I mean, they really do care. And maybe my family, even large or not, is just unique because we really do care deeply about the people who are our people. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes that can be a challenge in of itself. Yeah. It's a good challenge, but it's still a challenge. Yeah. I definitely, I obviously saw that play out in a lot of different ways and I, I was the thing that I came with like that's a tribe mm-hmm. that is what it, that is how a tribe functions and I just tip my 
cap to every single one of you. And I thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. George? Um, I will, I will, I will go there as well. Okay. Wow, guys, I'm not, I was, I was not expecting either of this. So you're throwing me a curveball. So I'm going to adjust as you guys keep talking. Um, so jail has been sick, but that's actually not what I was going to uh, go to. Um, I got permission to discuss this. My son came out to, uh, my wife and I a couple of years ago as I'm just going to call it gay. At first he said he was same sex attraction attracted and it was, uh, it was the most, the single most devastating season of my life, largely in the, in, in the context of this question, because I did not have family that I felt comfortable going to, to share this with. It was intensely lonely. It was between JL and I and Zane. And, um, I desperately wanted people to walk with me, to counsel me, to, uh, just share the load to just talk to about it. And uh, because I did not have that extended, uh, that, that rich extended family experience, because to, in many respects, they, they feel like strangers to me, even though I see them every Thanksgiving and a couple times a year, it was not the kind of relationship where I would go to them and say, I just need to unload. And can you pray with me? And can you just not be reactionary when I talk to you about this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that season, I think, was harder and longer and in many respects more scarring for me than it needed to be because I did not have that kind of um, not just multi-generational, but that those 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 expanding circles of familial support. Yeah, I appreciate you opening up and sharing. And I I um, good. Good comes any good comes anytime we open up the vulnerable sides of us a little bit. I'm not looking at Meg, but I'm assuming she's smirking a little bit because I love the word vulnerability. Um, even in the midst of hard, when we disclose something like that, we're vulnerable. It it has a ripple effect, and uh, I just want to take the pause and just say thanks for both because I think that's going to land uh, in a space that's probably going to impact uh, and benefit people. So just I would just want to say thank uh, you, Lord. I hope so. Um, you guys, so you, you hit on the. the, the I'm going to. I got to remember that we can only talk for so long, but this is a really good conversation. This is what editing is for. Right, it's exactly <laughs> somebody, right. Somebody can cut this up. <laughs> but the idea, so you're really talking about this idea of family functioning as, as a team uh, a, a little in, in, in some different ways. And George, you talked about, you used the word circles. You said something about circles. Just yeah, a expanding, circles, expanding of circles of familial. Expanding circles of familial influence. Or maybe just multi-generational influence or just being, uh, you know, functioning as a team and everybody playing different roles. How... How um, how well is your family doing that? Given the just given the stuff you just shared, um, my, my our our immediate family, yeah, sure. my kids and my wife and I, um, we've had conversations about this pretty recently, based you know in large part because of the sermon series we're going through. We've talked about what it is uh, to be a team, uh, to be to have a uh, what our mission is, what, mm-hmm. what's our focus. Um, Do you have a mission? Well, we do. Okay, uh, it's actually was it was it was very interesting and very revealing. We had a conversation, a fairly extended conversation about um, a realization that I made that when it comes to the Great Commission, you know, the, 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 be be seekers of fisher fishermen of men. Yeah. Um, I, the, I I've observed what I'm starting to call harvesters, people who go out there and they 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 are they are leading people to Jesus. They are they are, they they are praying the prayer. They are having those tough conversations. Let's make a decision together. Let's pray together. 
And I'm not one of those people. I'm open to that, but I'm much more comfortable as a seed planter. Hmm. And I've come to realize that that's a valid role. Mm-hmm. I plant the seeds. I try to live it out. I try to have conversations that are introducing people to the idea of what it means to be a Jesus follower without actually leading them right up to, let's pray this prayer together, repeat after me. Um, That's great. The conversation we had was, where does my family fall on that? And we all agreed, actually, that's a a role we all all feel really comfortable and passionate about. Hmm. Um, We're open to the idea of praying the prayer with somebody when the time comes, but we feel our, our, our heart and our passion as a, as a mission, as a missional family is in just planting seeds everywhere we go. Hmm. That's kind of a neat picture. And I love the fact that you call it out and you're like, right now in this season, we're seed planters. Yes. And you need seeds. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Could you just say that again? He says he's got that radio voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> got the, the vibrato. Yes. That, yeah. I don't have the vibrato. No, no. Anyway, uh, Meg, Roles on teams, current state of the affairs. How are you functioning as a team, you know, uh, where you're currently at as a fam? It's complicated. <laughs> Relationship status. <laughs> um, so you, when you don't have the nuclear family, you have multiple families interfacing and interacting with and teaming up to partner with you in raising children specifically. Mm. So I'll start with um, Steve and my relationship. We have, I mean, from a team perspective, we set out in our new marriage and said, we need, we have, we got a lot going on. We need to make sure that we're connecting with each other weekly and quarterly intentionally. And it's on our calendars. I would love to say that I wear the halo and that we do it every week. (laughs) We don't, but (laughs) Every Sunday we connect and just say, what's going well? What's not going well? What do we need to do different? What's coming up with the week? Um, so it's a little bit of logistical, a little bit of um, spiritual, a little bit of emotional um, and relational. I know you'd like that. I Scott. did. I'm so uh-huh. glad you said that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then quarterly, it's kind of what are we what are we setting out to do in the next 90 days? Um, so that's me being a planner and my husband being very willing to go along with my planning Good job, life. Steve. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but outside of that, uh, so that's kind of the context of us. And of course, as go or as we go, the rest of the family goes. Um, so his kids have a mom and a stepdad and other half, not half, um, step siblings. Mm-hmm. And then my kids have dad, not necessarily stepmom, but dad and another set of family that they are um, working with. And so when we come together to try to make decisions and parent, it's not just as easy as saying, I don't think your child, so to, you know, from Steve's perspective, your child should be doing this, or I don't think we should be doing this, uh, you know, with my bio kids. We, we have multiple rules because mm-hmm. different parents have different philosophies. And it's not, again, just Steve and I, which is complicated enough, but we actually have to defer to their nuclear, nuclear, yeah, their biological their bio. parents and, and what they decide. And so it, it gets really uh, challenging as a team mm. Because uh, we can't come together as parents and be like, this is what we're doing. One rule. It is literally sometimes, you know, three different rule sets that are happening. I um, mean, I would say Steve and I probably co-parent alongside of Harrison because he's eight and we have to, he's just little and needs a little bit more nurturing. Yeah. But from a team perspective, we don't sit down with, it would be fun, all of the parents together in one room and try to come up with a common uh, common set of rules. Mm. And it, there's a terminology, and I don't subscribe to this entire philosophy, but this terminology of nacho parenting in terms of, <laughs> right, nacho parent. Um, mm-hmm. 
But I'll tell you for the older kids, it uh, and we don't say I'm not your parent. That's not what I'm going here. So I want to be very clear on that. Yeah. But instead of being a typical parent to his kids or he being a typical parent to mine, where you're setting rules and disciplining in, in that structure for the teenagers, it's more of I am a trusted adult that provides and enforces what your parents have set down. So think about your aunt. If I drop my kids off at my aunt's house, they would enforce the rules that I have given them to follow. They certainly are a trusted adult that is going to speak wise counsel and that will be there for them no matter what. Um, that wants the best interest of the kids. Uh, that's how we have chosen to operate um, because otherwise it would be, we ha- I'm much more, I would say strict than uh, my husband and his, wa- and his ex-wife, right? And so they, they have different sets of uh, priorities and different sets of rules than we would. And we very early on in our relationship had to navigate those waters pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's kind of where we arrived. And I'll tell you what, once we got there, it was much more peaceful hmm. that everybody understood. We still have bumps, but I mean, I think every family does. When we understood like, I'm not trying to get involved in your parenting, you know, Steve and Gina for his uh, family and and nor the other way, but I'm here to help be that like the reinforcement of positive and, you know, behavioral discipline. I'm here as somebody that they can come to if they need something um, and to support both of them in raising their, their kids. Um, I think that that has been something that we arrived at. I don't know if it would work for every family, but that in our world is what team, team looks like guys there's so many there's so many good things coming holy cow and we're totally out of time we could go on for another another couple of episodes with this um but here's what I, I i'd like to just say to everybody listening first um if you hear some of the themes that are coming out there's in, there's intentionality with how george and megan have gone about uh, having some really good conversations with with their family and i think those intentional conversations can lead to little steps that can be taken to move the needle down the road a little bit when it comes to embracing this idea of living on mission uh, as like a, as a, a family, as a team, you know, and in bringing in that multi-generational influence. And you might be listener, you might be the person that's listening and you might be the, the flashpoint for the next generation of your family, the where they can look back and be like, because of so-and-so's decision, we're now able to function as a team and as a whole. And so I think there's just intentionality. So no matter where you are at, I think there's always an intentional next step to take. And so um, I wanted wanted to say, the second thing I wanted to say before we have to wrap up is um, good on you both for having the conversations that you've had, uh, for having the conversations that you are having, uh, because I think what you're doing is you're, continuing to build upon a foundation in Christ that is going to just continue to have the influence on, you know, your, your, your kiddos, as you so often say, Meg, and you're modeling for them something that they can then take forward when they at some point have uh, a family of their own, that is God's will, or can be embraced and influence a family that, you know, kind of brings them under the fold. And so uh, I just want to say thank you to both of you uh, and thanks to all of you listening. And let's just continue to take those strides and being intentional and building thriving families.